Well, it is a great morning to be together, and uh, we are going to be looking, as you heard um, read for us, uh, John chapter 15. What we're doing um, this summer, we're spending the summer months um, together looking at uh, our calling and responsibility um, to be disciples and asking ourselves the question as a church family, um, what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. Um, this fall, I've alluded to this a couple times um, since we uh, got, began this, this series. Um, this fall, uh, you're going to sort of see and hear about uh, just a renewed emphasis and challenge and calling as a church family uh, to, to be disciple makers, um, to be working and striving together to see that we are making disciples in this church and in our community and how we do that. And we're going to try to put some sort of tangible um, sort of uh, guardrails around uh, the things that we do in order to make that a possibility, how we do life together uh, from trainings and other types of things. But that's going to happen this fall. So in preparation for all of that, what we wanted to do this summer was to spend some time really looking at what does it mean to be a disciple? If we're going to be disciple makers, and that's our calling and our purpose as a church, uh, which it is, that's the mission of God that he gave to us as Christians, um, then what does that mean? What is that going to look like in our daily lives? What does that sort of practically look like to us? And so we're looking at a, a variety of texts. If you are a guest with us, you should know that typically it's our practice here at City Church to just work our way through sort of chunks of the Bible, uh, larger sections or whole books of the Bible. Um, often in the summer months, we break from that routine a little bit um, and, uh, and, and cover, sort of uh, bounce around um, within the scriptures to look at some specific attributes or things that we're studying. And so that's what we're doing, and we're going to be in John chapter 15. John 15 is a message from Christ about what he expects of his disciples. How are his disciples to live? What are they to look like? And these words, just to give you some context, John chapter 15 is a uh, portion of what is known um, in uh, theological sort of circles as the farewell discourse. It's a uh, uh, Jesus speaking to us, um, similar to as he did, you might know if you've been with us for a little while, we just finished a whole year in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7. Um, here he gives a little bit of a longer um, sort of word to us, known as this farewell discourse, and it's Jesus essentially telling his disciples all that he wants them to know before he departs. Just prior to John chapter 15, he has um, taken them up to the upper room. They've had their final supper with Jesus, their final, final meal with them. He sent Judas out to go and betray him as he knew that he would do. And so Judas has left them. And as he, after he finishes the meal and he washes their feet and he does all that he is, he's doing in their lives and, and speaking to them, he gets up and he says, walk with me. And they're walking. As we get to John chapter 15, they are in the situation of walking ultimately to the garden where Jesus will pray. And you might know that he will pray and he'll pray there asking God to take the cup from him, to not take him to the cross, to, to find another way to um, uh, bring salvation to the world. And he's seeking God and asking him to do that. And that's when he sees and ultimately Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. And so Jesus is giving these final words to his disciples. John 15 also, when he says, I am, you heard him say, I am the true vine. This is the final of seven I am statements that are captured in the gospel of John. 
One of John's desires in writing his gospel and God through him is is trying to tell us as we read John's word that he is saying, I am God. And so seven times Jesus says, I am, which is the name that God called himself. Who sent you, Moses? Who do I say has sent me, Moses asks. He says, you tell them I am sent you, God. And so Jesus is, in a sense, through the gospel of John, he is telling us all and telling all of his disciples all throughout it, I am God. I want you to know that I am the Messiah that was prophesied about. And so he gives us these final words just before he is about to go to the cross, before he's about to depart. I want you to think about final words. A few years ago, our eldest son, we took him to college to drop him off. And um, the last evening before, we had sort of packed up or set up his dorm and got him all settled in. And the last evening before we were going to leave him there, I took him to a coffee shop. And I shared some words with him as his dad, things that I wanted him to remember, important things. These are Jesus' final words to his disciples. These are important words. This is what he is wanting to leave us with, leave his disciples with, as he knows they are about to go out into the world to accomplish, to engage in the mission that he has called them to. That's what he's doing. And so he gives us these final words. And so I always just say, when you hear that these are the final words on something, Jesus' final words to us, we'd be really wise to sort of allow them to take the weight that they should. There's a weightiness to what Jesus is teaching us in this text. So he begins by saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. See, as they were walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, it's more than likely that they passed the temple, the holy place of the people of God. And as they passed this temple, hanging from the temple, we know it's recorded that there was a golden vine hanging on the entrance to the temple. And so as Jesus looks and he sees this golden vine, he says to his disciples, I am the true vine. See, the the vine was a symbol of Israel. It was a symbol of God's people. All the way back in Isaiah, the great prophet says in Isaiah 5, verse 4, what more was there for, to, to do for my vineyard? This is Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? God is lamenting through the prophet that I called these people to myself, Israel, and they were called to yield fruit, and yet they yielded nothing, wild grapes. Later, just a few verses later, he says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Isaiah, God is speaking and saying, I set apart Israel to be my people to do something, to be who I've called them to be. I look for them to be a people of righteousness and a people of justice, and they were not that. They failed. Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9 says this, again, speaking of Israel, you brought a vine out of Egypt, the Israelites. He redeemed them out of Egypt, and you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. 
So when Jesus, the symbol for Israel is the vine, and when Jesus sees that hanging over the temple, he says to his disciples, let me tell you something. I am the true vine where Israel failed, where Israel rebelled, where Israel was disobedient and didn't accomplish and do all that God had intended his people to do. I will succeed. I will be obedient. He's going to be obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Where Israel failed, Jesus would deliver. God had set apart his people on the earth to be holy and to bring glory to his name. That is why God did that. Why did God do all that he was doing? He set these people apart, the people of Israel, so that they might be a holy people. And as they lived on the earth and they populated the earth, the earth would look at that people and see a people of God that looked differently, radically different than all the rest of the world, and his name would be glorified. That's what he was doing. That was his purpose, and they failed at that. And so Jesus says, I've come, and I will be, as is often described of Jesus in many different ways. He is the true and better, and you can fill in the blank in a lot of different ways throughout Scripture, but here he is saying to his disciples, I am the true and better, the complete Israel. I will do what my Father has called me to do. My father is the vine dresser. Jesus is telling his disciples, calling his disciples to look to him and to understand who he is. And he's about to explain to them the mission that he has given them. One of the first things that we can learn from this text is Jesus himself, and he'll do it again in a few verses later. But he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. I live in perfect and total obedience to the father. And in a sense, he's setting up what I'm about to tell you. I'm about to tell you all of these things, and they're a result, there's a, they're a result of my obedience And if you're going to be who I've called you to be as my disciples, it's going to be a result of your obedience, following me, listening to the word of God. He continues in verse 2 and explains this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Jesus here clearly has Judas in mind. Judas looked like a branch. He walked as one of the 12 for the entirety of the three years of Jesus' life. And at the very end, even though he had acted, spent time with Jesus, he betrayed Jesus because he was not a true branch. He didn't have total obedience and faith in Jesus and who he was. And so he says those branches are going to be taken away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. He says, contrasting verse 2 and considering as he has Judas in mind in verse 3, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is sometimes a confusing text, a confusing verse in there. We, 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 we sort of can follow along with Jesus. He's talking about vines and branches. Uh, you know, I'm the vine. He, the Father's the vine dresser. And already you're clean. And we don't really follow that. Jesus is using a play on words here. And that play on words is connected to the word clean. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, you, unlike Judas, who was the branch who did not believe, are clean because you have believed my word. 
You have followed my word. You have trusted my word. You are clean because of that. You have already been trimmed and pruned back so that you might bear fruit. And this is the purpose that Jesus is giving this message to his disciples. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We live on a vineyard. You might have noticed that as you were walking in or driving in. This beautiful gift from God to us. And do you know why the vines exist? They don't simply exist, all they do this, to bring us joy and for us to look at and look pretty. They don't exist, if we were to get scientific, to have green leaves. They don't exist to just grow and then to be pulled back. They exist. The reason that the vines exist is to produce a fruit. I've been a part of the harvest here on our property. Got to do that right when we purchased this property last August. The last bit of grapes were yet to be harvested. And so I went out with the groundskeepers and harvested some of the grapes. And I can tell you that I came to some vines and they didn't bear any fruit or the fruit was very small or kind of barely hanging on. And those that take care of the vines, the vine dressers, the, the gardeners, they know that these vines are not very, they're not really doing what they're supposed to do. There's some, there's some value loss in those. And the vines that are bearing a lot of fruit, that's the ones that they are proud of. They're, they're going to cultivate and do all the work more to allow them to bear more fruit. That's the reason the vines exist. Sometimes I fear, I think, that we read this text, and there is a layer of this that is true, but we read this text, and we primarily relate to this text as an idea of our relationship with God. I abide in Christ. I abide in Him. I live with Him. I love Him. I worship Him. And that is what it, all that really matters. That's all that happens. It's just between me and Christ. That's not why Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Remember, he's leaving, and he's about to give them a mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And what he's saying to them is, I have done what I have done in you, and I have called you to live in such a way that you would bear fruit. All that I'm doing, all that God is doing, is so that you might bear fruit. If we are the branches, we abide in Christ, he says. There's a purpose. Our purpose as disciples is to bear much fruit. And God is going to do whatever he has to do so that we might bear more and more fruit. That's the reason that we exist. Again, think of Israel. Where did Israel fail? They failed to bring glory to God. They weren't faithful. They weren't obedient. And so glory to God was lost. And so Jesus comes and he calls these disciples to himself and he gives them a mission and a purpose that they might bear fruit. So in their bearing fruit, God would be glorified. So this is what Jesus is doing. This is a text about mission. This is a pep talk to the disciples to say, I have called you, God has called you, his children, so that you might bear fruit. That's the purpose. And guess what? The gardener does whatever he needs to do. He prunes. He pulls back. He tears off the broken branches. He cleans up the vine. He does that so that the vine might bear more fruit. This is what Jesus is getting at. 
in verses two and three. He explains this further and sort of gives a testimony or a, a, a little bit of a challenge, I should say, about how it is that the disciples are to do this. What are the disciples to do in order that they might bear this fruit that they're called to bear? And so he talks about every branch in me that bears fruit. It's gonna be pruned so that it might bear more fruit. Well, how? Verse four, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. That branch that is intended to bear fruit, the only way that it will bear the fruit that it's intended to bear is if that branch abides in the vine. If we, as his disciples, abide in Christ. Guess what? The branch, it says, Jesus says, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He repeats himself and expounds upon it. He sort of opens the text up a little bit broader in verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Abiding, remaining in Christ is a mark of a disciple. Disciples abide. They remain faithful to Christ. Judas did not abide. The other 11, he's saying to them, remain in me and I in you. Remain reliant upon me. Remain faithful to me and to my word, what I have taught you. This is how you will go about bearing fruit. And this is one of the things, the greatest, not the greatest, but one of the great challenges, I should say the great challenges, of kind of modern Christianity, Western Christianity, is two things. The first problem is, is that we think of this, and we, we read this text, and we look at other texts, and we think to ourselves that the purpose of God, what God is doing is he has come to redeem me, to save me, and then that's kind of it. As long as I've put my faith in Christ, I've put my hope in Christ, then I'm good. Now, the promise of eternity is, yes, if you've put your faith in the finished work of Christ, you are. But that's not all that God came to do in your life. And so many believers miss out on the joy of following Jesus, the obedience of following Jesus, the, the joy of bearing fruit, because they just say to themselves, I'm good. And by the way, I would even sometimes challenge that. James would say, if you haven't, if you're not bearing fruit, the fruit of works of your faith, and there's a problem there, and maybe you don't have any faith at all. But I can tell you, perhaps some of you in this room at one point thought to yourself, well, yeah, I, I walked down an aisle, and I talked to that preacher one time, and he called me up, and I got baptized, and that's it. I'm good. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm just going to live life because I'm, I'm squared away. I thank God that you took that step towards that preacher, I thank God that you testified before a family of God that you put your faith in Jesus. Jesus' word to you this morning is, I have called you that you might bear much fruit. And perhaps this morning is a little bit of pruning in your life to say, I want you to bear more fruit. It's not just about securing your future hope in eternity. There's a joy and a life to be had here in Christ as we are faithful and we are obedient to who he's called us to be. As we live out the mission he's given us, that is what Jesus is calling his disciples to. The other side of that coin, another great challenge of our day is this. 
Unless the branch, verse four, abides in the vine, neither can you unless you, excuse me, neither can you unless you abide in me. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything without Christ. If we are not abiding in Christ, if our life is not found in him, Jesus is saying, you can do nothing. And how many of you, how many of us would say, I'm not really sure that's true. I kind of do a lot of things. Tomorrow morning, you'll wake up. Hopefully, you'll shower. You'll get dressed. Head off to whatever the Lord has for you in the day. Engage in all manner of activities and fun, work, labors, joys, hardships, whatever the Lord has for you, whatever the day holds. And you'll end the day. You'll lay down your head on the pillow and you'll think to yourself, seemed like I did quite a bit. Everything seemed fine. It's because you're not living a life that bears fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says that. That's the word of God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And here is the challenge for us. We don't engage in anything that requires the power of God. Rarely do we find ourselves doing and engaging in activities and living a life that requires us to lean on the power of God and to lean on and to rely on our communion, our fellowship with Christ. When is the last time that you did something that you were completely powerless outside of Jesus moving in your life? And so we've gotten inoculated, we've gotten so comfortable, we live our lives, go about all of our days doing nothing that requires the power of God, and so we live and we say to ourselves, I don't need the power of God. Why do I need to abide in him? Why do I need to bear fruit? Because it seems like life is going pretty well for me. And it might seem like that, but Jesus is giving his disciples, people who call themselves Christians, followers of him, he says, you're going to bear fruit. And if you're going to do the things that I've called you to do, if you're gonna go out into the world and be the people that I've called you to be, if you're gonna have a holiness about you on your life, it's going to be because you abide in me, because you completely rely upon me and my power. This is what Jesus is saying. It's hard to get outside of your own little circle of life, to reach out to the friendless, to care for the broken people, to be concerned about things that are not really right in front of your face, to lay down a week of your life to go and take care and lead students so that they might know more about Jesus and his love, to walk across the street and be a friend to a new neighbor, to confess that you sinned against a friend many years ago so that you might find resolution and bring harmony and joy to be the husband that God has called us to be as we lay down our lives for our wives. All of these things require the power of God. We cannot do them on our own. And if we don't rely on the Lord, if we don't abide in him, then Jesus is saying you're not going to bear the fruit that you've been called to bear. And so he's asking us, 
His church, do you abide in me? Do you trust me? Is my word in you? Here is where we get to what this abiding looks like. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, verse 7. You want to know how practically we can abide in Christ? It's we rely upon his word. We look to his word. We practice, teach, exhort, do all that we can in this church to tell you that this book is the authority. This book is fully and completely sufficient for everything we need in life. If God intends you to know it, it's found right here. If he doesn't intend you to know it, there might be some confusion, there might be some mysteries, and that's where we say, God is greater, I am small, and we are okay with that. This book, his word, is what we rely upon. Not our traditions, not the things that we grew up doing, not the things that we sort of have to do as a family, not even our own desires. I like this, I don't like that. I, I feel good about doing this. this. This is where I feel comfortable. Sometimes we mistake comfort for calling. This is just, oh, this is easy because it just comes naturally to me. Might have nothing to do with Jesus, by the way. His word, we rely on his word. How do we abide? We abide in his word. He says there, if you abide in me, my word abides in you, excuse me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Some of us have made that verse out to be like Jesus is a genie in the bottle. Jesus is no genie. He is God. And he says, if you know my word, if you abide in me and my word abides in you and you rely on my word and you live your life according to my word, guess what'll happen? Your desires will be changed. Do you wanna know why God hasn't answered the request of your life? When I was a young man, there was many times I asked God for all sorts of ridiculous things. I still do, I shouldn't even say young man. When I was just, an, I'm just when I was me, I asked God for ridiculous things. But in the Lord's kindness, as he has grown me and I've relied more on his word and trusted and put my confidence in his word and listened to his word and you know, known and memorized his word, guess what has happened? My desires have been changed. Caleb talked about young men and him praying for one of their friends that he might come to know Christ. Who asked for that? Who loses sleep at night pleading with God to redeem their friend? People who know God and know the gift of salvation and know his word. That's who does that. Normal people don't lose sleep at night wondering if their friends will go and spend eternity with Christ and God in heaven. That's not, I say normal people. We're, you're normal, all right? But we're not normal. We're weird. We're crazy people because we put our hope in a savior in Jesus Christ, a redeemer. And only the only reason we do that is because we know him and we know his word and his word has had an impact on us and has called us to something bigger than ourselves. That's why our desires have been changed, transformed. Why is the desire for my sons that they know and love Jesus and know and love and serve his church and not that they would make a lot of money, that they'd get signed to that contract at an early age, that they'd be this or that or any other sort of achievement. Do you know why? Because I know the greatest hope for my children is that they would know Jesus and love his church. And if they have those two things going on in their life, I don't care what else happens. 
They can be complete failures in the world's eyes if they have those two things. That's all that matters. Normal people, whatever that is, don't think that way. That's not the desire of their heart. The desire of their hearts is whatever achievement, whatever profession, whatever thing in their mind, this is what will make my child successful. This is what will give him happiness and hope. And I know those things are futile and fleeing, but God's word is not. This is what the people of God do. His disciples abide in his word. His word abides in them. And they pray and they ask God for things that only they would ask for because they have been transformed by the word of God. We also abide in Christ as we spend time in fellowship with other believers, his people. This is why the church is so valuable. I've told you over and over and over again, I'd be here whether you paid me or not. That's not a license to not pay, but (laughs) something in the Bible about that too. But I would because I need each and every one of you. I need to be encouraged. I need to be reminded of the word. I need to be reminded of the truth. As I go out into the world and into my week, no different than any one of you, I'm tempted to find my hope and my dreams and things apart from Christ and to lose sight of his mission, to lose sight of who he's called me to be. And so when we recalibrate, we come together to worship him, to sing songs, to open up our Bibles and study his word, we are transformed. Our minds are renewed and transformed as we look at his word. And so we need one another. And so this is a practice of abiding in Christ. And why do we do all of this? Two reasons. Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm gonna send you out into the world. Israel failed. I am sending you with the Holy Spirit so you can be assured you will not fail. Abide in me and you will prove to be my disciples and God will work through you and do great and mighty things through you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus says, rest completely in my love for you. I love you, he says. Jesus is saying to each and every one of us this morning, I love you. I've called you here so you might hear of my love. And how did I prove my love for the Father? Jesus says, I kept his commandments. Look, verse nine again. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Love is connected, and this is a strange thing that Jesus does, but love is connected to obedience. He says, I have proven my love for the Father by being completely and totally obedient to his words and his commandments. I'm going to about to be obedient to the point of laying down my life on a cross. That's how obedient Jesus is going to be. And we, he says to us, you want to abide in my love? Abide in my love through obedience to who I've taught you to be, living as I've called you to live. Too often we've taken Christianity, and sometimes this is because of some 
just evil that exists in the world, and I just want to call it out there. And we've made Christianity this idea of keeping a commandment as some form of an oppression. That's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says, you prove how much I love you as you keep my commandments. We know that following Jesus and being obedient to his word is a, a joy. There's joy in that thing. This isn't a repressive or to keep us from anything. It's to allow us to rest in his love. And so we do the things that he has called us to do, and we receive his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I've told you all that I've told you, so that you would live a life, not waiting for eternity to experience the joy, but today you may be filled with joy. You would have a joy in seeing me at work in your life and at work using you and through you as you bear fruit in the world that brings glory to our Father's name. That is the joy of being in Christ, abiding in him. I was talking with my middle son yesterday, and he told me he's serving this summer working at a camp. And he said to me, I've grown more in my faith in the last two weeks than in my entire life. And I thought to myself, well, dang, I kind (laughs) of, that's convicting, I kind of messed that up. But I told him, we had a conversation, I said, do you want to know why that is? Because you are doing things with your life working in such a way that the only possible means for you to have joy is to rely on him. And while he's exhausted and worn out and feels his flesh is weak, he's being called and he has no choice but to rely on the power of Christ, to abide in his word, to trust in him. And he is experiencing the joy of growing and seeing God work in and through him in ways he's never experienced before in his life. We talk about all the time, you want to live your best life now, you want to experience joy, you want to have happiness, you want to have peace in the world, you want to have all the things that the world has to offer you. Guess what? God's word gives us the answer to that equation. Do what Jesus called you to do. Live as Jesus called you to live. Abide in his everlasting eternal love for you and you will experience joy and you will experience fruitfulness and it will multiply and grow in your life in such a way you'll never compare it to anything else. And all the things of the world will fall in comparison to the joy of abiding in him. This is what a disciple looks like. Following Jesus in such a way that we have nothing but everlasting joy as we look to him and we see him at work in us as we bear more and more fruit. Today might be a pruning. You might experience the Lord doing some things in your life in the days ahead as you consider this word again, perhaps. Rejoice, friends. Your Father in heaven cares enough about you to allow you to be in this room so that your branches might be pruned and peeled back so that you might bear more fruit. And what other purpose do we have in life but to bear fruit for Christ? The worship team's gonna lead us in a song as we close this morning. It's a song that I was taught a few weeks ago. Laurel and I went to a pastor's retreat and a conference kind of a time away. And we sang this song, a room of pastors, 
called to preach and proclaim the excellences of Christ, to teach his word. And we sang this song that was our prayer, that we would abide in him. And as we abide in him, we might realize that we can do nothing apart from him. So let this time join us in singing. Perhaps if you need to just reflect on this, just allow these words to sort of wash over you as you pray and consider the calling of Christ on your life to believe and to abide in him. So let's stand and sing. Well, before we, sorry, Ryan, before we sing, um, just as I was thinking about this, as uh, I, I, I didn't do this last service and I should have, um, last week Adam and Ashley led for us and um, I'm just really grateful for them and for you guys that stepped in and uh, it's just a, a ability to abide, to do the things that God's calling us to do. Sometimes there are giftings, sometimes they're not, um, but it's a dependence on him, like James next week is going to be out there in the parking lot. RJ is going to be back there in the AV booth. Um, that we have people in this church that care that deeply. That And God's working through that. That, that Adam and Ashley were able to be up here. That I was able to go to student camp. That we were able to see kids come to Christ. The fruit of faithful people that are dependent on the Lord. And we need more. We need more people to go pray over those babies, to be in these kids, to be with those fourth and fifth graders. My daughter's a fifth grader. It's starting to hit more at home. <laughs> that we need you. They don't need you to hear from mom and dad. We're the first line of defense, but you guys are so much a part of that. And we need you. And as we kind of sing this this morning, as we, there's a line in here. It says, I depend on you. I depend on you. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. It's like, God, how do I depend on you more? How does that happen? Where are you calling me? And then go walk in it. Maybe it's scary. Maybe it's hard. But take heart. He's overcome. He's going to be with you. If he's called you to it, he's going to use you. And it's not your strength. It's his. So let's sing. Let's pray this morning uh, that God would move in a mighty way. That he would use us to draw us closer to him and to make much of him in our community and around our circle of influence or even out even beyond it. So sing this worship this morning. Choose. 
truth and the lie. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch and you are the vine. Deep me close and teach me to abide. I got two requests for us as a church family. First of all, we sang that I depend on you. If you haven't done something recently, this week, commit your life even right now before God. Say, I'm going to do some things that rely, I rely completely upon you for. I depend upon your strength to repent, to reach out to that friend, that neighbor, that loved one, to step out in faith into some ministry calling, something God has put on your life. I don't know what that might be. You, only the Holy Spirit of God knows what that might be for you. But step out in belief as you abide in Christ. Live your life in dependence upon Him. And the second, for some of you, you need to know, you need help. You're saying to yourself, hey, that sounds great, preacher man, but... I don't even know what that means to abide in him. I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't know where to even begin. So you take a step of faith and you come talk to me after and I'll help you. I'll commit to helping you. We'll, we'll make a plan together. Won't be right now. We'll figure it out. We'll get on your schedule and all that. We'll make a plan to move forward so that we can more faithfully as a church abide together in Christ. That's our hope. I got one announcement for you this morning. You can tell it went a little bit long today. Got a little fired up. Sorry about that. But I did the same thing at the 9 o'clock hour, and that meant that you might have had a little harder time getting into the parking lot or getting your kiddos checked in. And so we have recognized that challenge as our faith family has been growing and multiplying, which we just rejoice in all that God is doing in our midst. Uh, but we need to kind of accommodate and make some room for that. So beginning August 1st, all of you will have the opportunity to move to 1045 or even more faithfully and boldly, move to 9 a.m. And so we're doing this to create a little bit wider space for transition between our two services so that it's easier to get people on and off our campus for our teams, our service teams, all of those folks, they can, they can make all of that happen. Um, we also know, um, I look around the room at many guests, and there's more of you that visit us at the, the, the later hour than the early hour. And so one of the things brothers and sisters in Christ that you can do to make room for guests in our community that are showing up and wanting to hear the word of God and needing to hear the word of God, you can move to that nine o'clock hour so that there's a, there's a seat open. Lately, in the past few weeks, in the middle of summer, we've had often folks sitting on that back window seat. And some people just like hanging out in the back. They kind of hoping maybe they'll fall out, they'll fall asleep. You know, no, uh, but uh, we don't want that to be the case. We want to balance out our services a little bit more. And we can just expect that this fall, uh, when everyone's back from vacation, that we're going to experience even more growth. And so um, this is a step uh, to try and manage that, uh, all of the blessings of God. So beginning August 1st, that's not next weekend, but August 1st, 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. will be the new worship times for our church family. So, again, would love a chance to communicate, just chat with you if I had a chance to meet you, if I could help you in understanding what it means to abide in Christ, to talk with you about that. I'll be down front, would love that. Um, if not, go pick up your kiddos. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you uh, sometime this week. God bless.
Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.